0: Welcome back to the Church for the Rest of Us podcast, where we're having conversations on creating a healthy church culture because culture eats programs for breakfast. I'm here again with Leslie Bennett to continue peeling back the layers of this topic, and it's an important one.
1: It sure is, and there's a lot to talk about. We talked about some of the defining characteristics of our culture relationally last time, and this time we thought we'd pick up talking a little more about organizationally, and we had referred to our first team concepts, so we're right. going to start out with that and talk about what it looks like to have a first team culture at your church organizationally.
0: All right, well, one of the things that you have to do if you want to create healthy cultures, you have to create healthy structure. And part of the structure is everybody has to know what team is their first team. Okay. And the reason this concept is so important, it it creates trust on the people that you're meeting with and that you're relating to an organization. So for instance, Like I would say that your first team is whatever the highest level meeting is that you're invited to. Okay. So that's true if you're a volunteer, Mm -hmm. it's true if you're part-time, it's true if you're full-time, it's true if you're the lead pastor, it's true if you're the worship pastor, whatever your organization is. And the reason that this is important, so for instance, if I'm the worship pastor and I'm at a church of 300 and we have staff meeting every week and it's me and the lead pastor and the administrative assistant and the associate pastor. So we have our staff meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's my first team. Because otherwise what happens, that means my highest loyalty is to this group. I'm going to be an advocate for the decisions that are made at this meeting to everyone else in the organization. Right. I don't want the worship pastor to be the union leader mm-hmm. who's representing the choir, <laughs> okay, to <laughs> the pastor. Right. I want the worship pastor to be the pastor's representative to the choir. Mm. So he is now owning and sharing the responsibility for communicating the decisions made in our first team meeting. Mm-hmm. He's not commiserating with the choir about the dumb decisions made at the top of the organization. Right. And so many organizations get blown up by this, whether it's the student ministry, the kids ministry, it can be teams of volunteers, it could be deacons, you need everybody to attach their highest loyalty to the first team that they're a part of. And Leslie, you know that that's not always easy to do.
1: It really isn't, Jimmy. I hate to admit it, but I often have to remind myself of that concept because it's really easy to just kind of get down in the mud with the pigs, so to speak, and start grousing about all the things that aren't going right or complaining about somebody. And oftentimes I have to remind myself, wait a minute, That person's, you know, on my first team and I need to think the best of that person. It does go back to what we talked about in the last episode. I mean, when you love somebody, you're going to think the best of them. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked about filling the gap with trust, which is so important. I say that to myself a lot when I start thinking, why did he do that? Or why did she say that? And then I stop and I say, okay, fill the gap with trust. Yeah. Because we want to think the best. We want to fill the gap with trust. It helps us to operate in a culture of love, really.
0: Well, yeah. And if you don't fill the gap with trust, you're going to fill it with something else. And what's that going to be? It's going to be doubt. It's going to be mistrust. It's going to be bitterness. It's going to be antagonism. And so part of the first team concept is believing the best about each other. And one of the things that you have to do is over time, you want to create a team or pull a team together with, again, volunteers, part time, full time, whatever it is. You pull your team together with people. That you do trust their heart. Mm -hmm. All right. So that if you sit around the table, you say, okay, look, this person's personality may not be my cup of tea. I may not want to go on family vacations with them, but they love Jesus. They love our church. They're pretty smart. They're trying their best to do what they think is the right thing. Right. Now, we may knock heads like crazy over what the right thing actually is. Mm -hmm. But if I can acknowledge in my heart, yeah, but this is a good person who loves Christ who is trying from their perspective to do the right thing, that lets you fill the gap with trust, but that also lets you adhere to the first team concept. And I'll tell you, if you don't, I don't want to just beat this to death with our listeners, but I'm telling you guys, whatever size your organization is, if you don't teach, articulate, and practice, and hold people accountable to the first team concept, you're going to end up with a bunch of union reps at your staff meeting, and whoever's leading it is going to be constantly besieged by the demands from the different constituencies that are represented at the table. It's going to create a lot of sideways energy and a lot of friction. It's really unnecessary. It's really
1: honestly how organizations fall apart when you think about it because we talk a lot in church life anyway, about silos and about busting down the silos. I mean, if this is a perfect example of how a silo begins to be built around a ministry or a a part of your organization, and it needs to, you know, don't build the silo. Don't let it happen. And it also is a guard against dissension. Both of those things are going to make your organization ultimately fall apart. It's not going to last.
0: No, that's right. And if you want to hear more about this, Andy Stanley has some good material on filling the gap with trust. That's kind of something that we've learned from them at North Point. And then if you want to learn more about the first team concept, come to Sharper in March, because we're going to talk a lot about that. Hey, in addition to this idea of building family and Mm -hmm. a culture of love and a culture of integrity that allows for repentance, building it through the first team concept so that we know we're our highest Loyalties lie, we know how we are supposed to represent leadership in the organization. Even kind of preliminary to that, we've got to have some clarity and a baseline about what we're doing and why.
1: Okay. And that all goes back really to our doctrine. It does. So the doctrine that we adhere to is foundational to everything that we believe. Obviously, here at Family Church, and that's really where it needs to start. We need clarity on what we believe, not only on the staff level, but through our church. So, how do we accomplish this? How do we get that doctrine from our pastor to our staff to our volunteers yeah. and then to our people, even?
0: Well, that's a really important issue because, you know, one of the things in a culture that really values big numbers, mm-hmm. which a lot of our church cultures, that's what's highly valued. It's easy to build what is commonly referred to as an attractional church, which is mm-hmm. basically you'll do whatever it takes to get more and more people to come. Right Now, an attractional church is usually what one person calls another church that they don't like. That's usually true. a church that's bigger than them. Right. All right. Oh, they're just an attractional church.
1: They watered it all down. Yeah, they, they
0: watered it all down. The they're a mile wide. They're that's an right. inch deep, yeah. you know. All right. So I don't think that's very helpful to critique other churches on their depth or on their, you know their attractional nature. But I do think that what churches should do is be very clear about the doctrine and the theology that they're believing and basing all of their philosophy and their strategy upon. So we should be building our philosophy and our strategy on our doctrine, Mm -hmm. not the other way around. Now, fortunately, we are a Historic legacy Southern Baptist Church. So, Mm -hmm. a lot of our listeners probably aren't networked with the Southern Baptist Convention. That's our primary network, but that means that we are also a confessional church. So, we are not unclear about what we believe, and we embrace the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 edition Mm -hmm. as our doctrinal statement. It's on our website, it's in our Constitution and bylaws, it's in our membership agreement when people join our church. And so the Baptist Faith and Message gives us, it, it, it's not a, the most extensive or detailed doctrinal statement in the world, but it gives us a bedrock. If someone wonders like, what do we believe about the Bible? Open it up, there's a very concise statement with a lot of biblical background to it about what we believe about the scriptures, or what do we believe about salvation, or what do we believe about family structure and sexuality and gender. It's all right there in the Baptist Faith and Message And we're a confessional church, and we're not apologizing for that. And that gives us kind of a basis to build on. And if anybody ever gets confused about any of these issues, open up the Baptist Faith and Message. It speaks pretty clearly. Again, baptism, Lord's Supper, all of these things are right there. And it gives us a reference point. It's a way for us to have conversations with members or prospective members or other churches about what we believe and why we do or don't do certain things.
1: And I think we've always been such, as far as I know, I have been a church here since 1993. We've been a doctrinally sound church in my mind as long as I've been here. But when you came to the church, Jimmy, 10 years ago, and you came on staff, I think you realized that the staff needed some bolstering when it comes to their doctrinal strength. And so you've done some things with our staff over the years. You've kind of taken them to school on some things. Can you tell our listeners what you've done with our staff in the past to help build that doctrinal foundation?
0: Well, one of the things that we do, Leslie, is we rehearse our doctrine over and over with our team, especially Mm -hmm. when I first came. Because even though we have kind of a conservative, evangelical, Bible-believing culture at Family Church, I will tell you that when I first came, we really didn't have a doctrinal statement. Mm -hmm. And so that was a little ambiguous. And everybody was kind of conservative and evangelistic and Bible-believing. But the truth is on our team, besides me... On our whole entire staff, there's only one other person who had ever had formal theological training. And that was a very, he actually had a music degree from a seminary. So his theological training was minimal for the degree program that he had taken. And so when I got to looking at our team, I just realized we have a lot of excellent men and women who love Jesus, who are good at certain things about running a church, but they've never invested time reading and writing and Mm -hmm. talking and thinking for clarity About doctrine. So, we just spent a lot of time. We started having staff retreats. Remember, the first staff retreat we had, we just sat down and we just opened up the Baptist faith, the message, and started going through it. Mm -hmm. So, what do we believe about the Bible? Well, here's what we believe, and this is why inerrancy is important, and this is why the doctrine of inspiration is important, and that underpins how we understand the Bible. So, here's our basic hermeneutic that Mm -hmm. we're going to use to study the scriptures, and here's what we believe about salvation, and here's why, and here's the historic basis for it. And then flowing from that here's what we believe about church membership and the mm-hmm. ordinances and this is why we tie baptism to church membership and why we believe baptism and church membership is a prerequisite to the Lord's supper which it all says in the Baptist faith and message so just walking everybody through that so who can baptize somebody and when should they be baptized and what about this and you know what about people who've never heard the gospel what happens what happens after people die well i found that even though we kind of had a conservative evangelistic kind of an idea mm-hmm that we shared as a staff, when we started asking these questions, the truth is our staff was all over the map on every one of these issues. So we just started pulling it together. So multiple retreats a year, staff meetings, we just started drilling on doctrine and theology. Then we also made it a regular part of teaching in our church. So in our church, of course, we teach expositionally through books of the Bible, Mm -hmm. but we also about every 18 months we do a doctrinal series. So Mm -hmm. we've preached through the Apostles' Creed a couple of times. We've preached through the Nicene Creed. We've preached mm-hmm. through the Baptist faith and message. And we're going to do that because we've got to teach our people that this isn't just about coming to church because there's a lot of really good ideas and nice people, and maybe God will drop some blessing bombs on you as a result. Right. We actually believe some stuff that drives all of this. So we have yeah. to teach that. I
1: mean, I kind of have to be honest when I found out that we were going <laughs> to teach through the Baptist faith and message. I thought, That's exciting. That's going
0: to be boring. It's going to be
1: really exciting. But you know, it ended up being a really great series. We called it Welcome Home. We talked about foundation of our faith, structure of our faith. We did the next segment called Get Off the Fence, which was a huge hit, challenging people to really engage in the life of the church through things like baptism. Our listeners can see that at GoFamilyChurch.org. You can watch those messages because you can actually see... Pastor Jimmy sitting on the fence.
0: Yeah, we built the fence and sat on it. So (laughs) anyways, those are all things that I think are crucial for building a culture. Your culture really doesn't matter if your culture isn't based on something that you believe. I remember when I first came to family church, a friend of mine named Mark Dever, Mm -hmm. who pastors a church, Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. said he said, look, Jimmy, you've got to establish when you first get there, you've got to establish what your doctrine is, and then that's going to relate to your membership process. And he says, if you're going to pastor that church for any length of time, if you don't have kind of an established doctrine and you don't have an established and clear membership process that's biblical and calls people to accountability and to engagement with your church, he says, then anything else you do is going to be built on a horrible foundation Mm -hmm. and it'll be too easy for it to all fall apart. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciate that advice from Dr. Dever because that helped me when I came here kind of give me a starting point. And I will tell any of our listeners, you go to a church, I don't care if it's out in the hills of Kentucky. I don't care if it's in inner city, St. Louis or wherever you are, establishing and creating your doctrine. And, and look, if I were you and you're running a church, I would make sure that your church is or becomes a confessional church. And by confessional, I simply mean have a confession of faith that is written down, that is clearly accessible, that is clearly articulated, that is easily available so that people can know what you believe and why. That is crucial to creating a healthy culture.
1: And then talking about it, because a lot of churches have that. Right. No, they do. That's on their website. They write it down. But do they ever bring it up again? Right. And I think the important thing that you do and that you lead us to do is to keep bringing that up and talking about it. So we have our foundation on our doctrine. And then I think other key aspects of culture are clearly defined mission and core values. Yeah. And again- That was before I came on staff. I know our staff went through a process of developing what is our mission statement, what are our core values. Can you talk a little bit about how that process worked?
0: Yeah, I can. We actually use a consultant, we use a firm called Oxano. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of churches use Oxano or have used them. Some churches may feel that Oxano is a little expensive or Mm -hmm. maybe unattainable, but you don't have to use a consultant. You can do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And the basic principle is to come up with a simple, clear statement of what you're trying to accomplish at your church it kind of embodies your values and your strategy and your theology in a clear simple memorable statement right. and so you know our statement is building families by helping them discover and pursue god's design mm-hmm. so some of you may hear that statement go well that's horrible because i don't okay send me an email but that's the fair. truth is that's our statement it's easy to remember everybody right. knows what it is and then our values are teach the Bible, build families, and love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So there you have it. We're going to build families by helping them discover and pursue God's design. And then we're going to teach the Bible. We're going to build families. We're going to love our neighbors. Right. Well, we keep pounding that. We put those things on our printed material. Mm-hmm. We put them on our website. We talk about them in sermons. Mm-hmm. We talk about them when we do different events at the church. And over time, people begin to embrace it. And I think if it wasn't important, every Fortune 500 company wouldn't have them posted in the elevator. That's okay? right. yeah. This is just part of best practices for organizations of any size. And I'd encourage you to do it. And again, you don't have to use a consultant, buy a book about it, look it up on, there's websites galore about how to do it. And you could do it yourself. But I, think I really- One of
1: the things you said is key is just keeping those things succinct and memorable. I was talking with a staff member from another church recently and He was talking about how they had a lengthy mission statement that no one could remember. Right. And they had 12 core values. Right. And so they were realizing they probably need to get this thing down a little more to a more manageable bite-sized pieces. So I think as a communications person, that's what I would encourage people to do. You don't need a consultant to do that. If you look at your mission statement and it's you know two or three sentences long, I think you need to get it down. They say to like 12 words at the most – And then we have three core values. I think that's three or somewhere around in there is a good number. People are not going to remember seven or 12 core values. And you're not going to be able to communicate seven or 12 core values.
0: Yeah. You know, my wife was really good at this when our kids were little. She was looking around and we went to a friend's house one time. And so we always had like these house rules. Mm -hmm. So these are the Scroggins house rules. And we went to a friend's house and they had like 29 rules. And they were posted (laughs) on the refrigerator. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. Nobody could remember 29 rules. Right. I mean, I can't. And so what would happen is basically every time a kid did something that the parent didn't like, they made a new rule. Right. And so they just had this ever-expanding list of rules. And that's the way churches do it with core values. Mm-hmm. So if you want to remember it, you can have plumb lines. There's a lot of things you could do that could that you could keep adding to. Mm-hmm. But if you want to make it memorable. So like our, our rules that we posted on the refrigerator were three for our kids. They were tell the truth, honor authority, and think of others. There you and go. so we had three simple, those were more values than rules. Right. And then almost anything that happened would fall under one of those. So I would encourage you to think about some values that would encompass more than just one specific thing. I'd keep it brief, keep it memorable, but I really think your church should have that. And again, there's a lot of resources out there for free. That would help you do that. And that's why we're talking church for the rest of us.
1: And as you create culture, again, it just really helps you. We talked a lot about this in episode 18, so our listeners can go back and listen to that. We talked a lot about common language, Yes, and common language really helps us develop culture. It does. And having our core values helps us develop common language, because we can fit almost everything we do under our core values. Obviously, teach the Bible, our sermons that we give, the way we teach our kids, our students, Building families, how we partner with parents to help their kids discover and pursue God's design. Right, right. We wrap all of this up. We constantly put it in our common language and it really helps drive it home. It drives it through our staff, drives it through our people. Yeah. People know what we're about.
0: Yep. I agree. And so as we do that. We're trying to take these missions, these values, but then all of this serves kind of a bigger picture that Mm -hmm. we're trying to accomplish. So Mm -hmm. we're missionaries to South Florida. We're an outpost of the gospel an expression of the universal church here in South Florida. And so we're going to take the gospel to every person in every neighborhood in South Florida. And our method for doing that is establishing a network of neighborhood churches. That's right. And so we're just chasing this vision all the time Mm -hmm. to take the gospel to every person in every neighborhood in South Florida. And even though we've made that kind of our vision and we have our mission established, we have our values established, boy Leslie, we just every week That's have right. to fight against mission creep, don't
1: mm-hmm. we? We do. I
0: mean, there's so many great things out there to do that should be done, that people are doing and we get invited to participate and yeah. it's so easy to literally just Literally
1: every day. Every day every somebody day. sends an email saying why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Or why don't you do the other thing? Let's feed the homeless. Let's dig a well. Let's Clean
0: water, yeah. whatever. And all of it is stuff that That's we want to do. It's awesome. And we want that stuff to happen. Yeah. But boy, I would just say, whatever you're a part of in a church, man, why don't you find out what your thing is mm-hmm. and do your thing? And we decided that our thing is South Florida. That's right. So we support networks. So we want to plant churches all over the world. We want to plant churches in urban areas all over the United States. But we've decided that our focus and our primary aim... It's South Florida. And the key to making this work is, look, figure out what your thing is at your church, what you're going to do, and then just stick to it. Mm-hmm. And don't change every time somebody comes out with a new book and a new conference. Don't change when the social media takes off on some other new fad. Right. You stick to it. You stay the course. You drive towards that vision. You employ your mission. And so I've been here for 10 years. We've basically been chasing the same stuff for 10 years. That's and right. I am now learning the value of staying at the same thing for 10 years. When I came here, Bob Record is a friend of mine. He used to be Mm -hmm. the president of the North American Mission Board. And Bob Record said, Jimmy, make sure that you don't overestimate what you can do in your first two years, but don't underestimate what you can do in your first 10 years. And boy, that was such great advice. He told me that my first week here, and I haven't forgotten it. It was extremely helpful.
1: I've heard you say that before too, and I'm just going to I'm going to brag on you for just a minute (laughs) because we just celebrated 10 years with you as our pastor, and we've talked about how we went from one church in one location in one language to 11 churches in nine locations in three languages, and we have a vision to keep this going. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep expanding campuses, churches, more neighborhoods, more people, more gospel conversations, more gospel congregations, and I think your stick-to-itiveness and your persistence on one vision. We've seen the fruit of it, and I'm excited to see the next 10 years of more yeah.
0: fruit. Thanks, Leslie. That's very kind. You know, God is relentlessly pursuing people, isn't He? That's right. All the time. That's and so right. that's what we want to do. We want to be relentless in our pursuit, the vision, the vision that God's given mm-hmm, us. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, our listeners, whatever size your church is, whatever size your organization is, look, it's not easy And it can be extremely messy. And if you ever come visit us at Family Church or come to Sharper Conference, you're going to see how messy it actually is. Mm -hmm. But we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Creating a healthy culture is hard work, but it is worth it. And if you want, you can dive in with us for an entire day. Come join us in South Florida on March the 7th, 2019 at Sharper Conference. Register today at SharperConference.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to church for the rest of us.